When the chuckles meet. In honor of here today, what two comedians need to bridge the generation gap next? I'm at Patches, and I feel like, uh, well, we, we didn't say what here today was, which is Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish, and you know something wacky is going to happen there, and I think Culture Clash is good in this case, and I'm going to go with Steve Martin and Rami Youssef, because I feel like, uh, I don't know, Rami would have some questions. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and Whoopi Goldberg and Jenny Slate, more because I like them, but it's more like throwing down a gauntlet, because I don't have like a plot in mind. I feel like Just, they're uh, on a road trip. I see them on a yeah. road trip. Yeah, yeah, sure. Road trip. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Mel Brooks and Keenan Thompson. Because, well, <laughs> now, I see them in a, are... a remake of Road Trip. Um, per- oh, it'd be perfect. Uh, with Tom Green reprising his iconic yes, role. Yes, of course. Now, which one of them sent the, uh, the tape? Of them? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be Mel Brooks. It's be Mel Brooks. <laughs> he sends it to the wrong old age home Whoopsies. during COVID. Uh, and they have to go. Wait, on a road trip. I mean, this actually like is similar to a movie that was at South by this year about uh, a road trip during COVID. But neither Mel Brooks nor Keenan Thompson was in it, so there's definitely room for improvement. There's still time, gentlemen. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room. It's Fighting in the War Room, episode number 347, Pandemic 59. It's still going, baby. For the week of Wednesday, <laughs> Revenge of the Fifth? Is that what people say now? It's not wow. Star Wars Day. It's not May the 4th. It's Revenge of the 5th. Is that a thing, Dave? I would rather Revenge of the 5th than Cinco de Mayo if we're talking about things to say on May 5th. Fair enough. And uh, on Revenge of the 5th in the year 1904, when it was first called Revenge of the 5th, I believe, um, mm-hmm. Cy Young, he pitched the first perfect game in modern baseball as the Boston Americans beat the Philadelphia Athletics 3-0. to zero. Ugh, Sports, and get he, it out of my mouth. He had, <laughs> if a he had, had diarrhea game... the day before, so that's where Revenge of the 5th comes ah. from. Oh boy. I was just going to say that if a baseball game is a perfect game, wouldn't it just be a game of hockey? I've bungled this joke. Uh, there was no, a way to make it work. There was a way, and I just don't think I found the right way into it. But My baseball joke rules, had poop hockey in it, first rules, of all. the Rangers aren't making the playoffs. I'm pretty upset about it, but that's fine. Uh, next season, we're going to dominate. Are there reviews? Patches, do we have reviews? What? This is your part. You. Uh, I yes. ask you if there are reviews, and then you read some reviews. Because Katie's we're definitely not here. talking about fucking Star Wars mobile games. Happy anniversary, uh, Katie. Katie is not here. She's oh, yeah, off celebrating right. her anniversary. It's boys' uh, night, baby. B- boys, boys, boys. She needs to sort out her priorities, <laughs> as Ron Weasley would say. Not my finest Ron. Uh, but yes, well wishes to the entire rich slash, I don't sure if we're saying her, her husband's <laughs> last name on the podcast. I don't think we need to clan. do that, but... <laughs> uh, but um, I hope they're enjoying it. We miss her. Uh, Michael1994James says, amazing podcast. Long-time listener, one-time quarter-quell recommender for the Brazilian film The Way He Looks. I remember that. Shut oh, yeah. up. Uh, wanted to write in to both give a five-star review and to give a belated thank you to David for having the only correct take on Godzilla vs. Congo. You're very welcome, Michael. <laughs> James. I'll be brief, but I was unironically looking forward to this movie. I've seen Jurassic Park north of 300 times, and it's bad sequels dozens of times, including the truly awful 
Jurassic World movies. When my boyfriend and I moved in together, he was genuinely appalled at how frequently I'll put on one of those sequels. I liked the 2014 Godzilla quite a bit and didn't even mind how silly Skull Island and King of the Monsters were. What? And yet, even I, completely primed to just turn my brain off and let the big animals do their thing, could barely pay attention to this movie. <sighs> which is to say nothing of its borderline irresponsible Q-adjacent Millie Bobby Brown who doesn't drink tap water because fluoride can make you docile or something? What was that? I think David hit the nail on the head. The movie was so weightless, and it's not the fault of visual effects artists, but the fault of a system that overworks and Fault's underpays them stars. to churn out a huge spectacle of a movie as quickly as possible. Thanks to Matt Patches for providing like a Robert Altman-like uh, sound effect to this uh, <laughs> review. Everything just felt disconnected from anything grounded, and watching two digital abominations throw each other into CGI skyscrapers is not fun, especially not... To be clear, it wasn't the CG abomination from Incredible Hulk, so... <laughs> no, there, there was a lowercase abomination. Lowercase. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the podcasting. It kept me relatively sane throughout the pandemic. Stay healthy. Michael1994, James, extremely help, helpful review. Thanks so much for leaving it. Uh, Amen to everything you said. Thanks for no. fighting the good fight. This is not a, um, a podcast wide endorsement of this review. This yes, it, yes, it is. I speak for us all. We're moving on. Uh, finally, our other review this week is from Chells725, whose headline is 4KD, and the update, Uh-oh. the body of the review simply says, Updating this review to spare Katie. Well, Chells725, Katie. Done sparing herself this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, but we appreciate your efforts to save her from Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes talk all the same. If you out there listening to the show would like to prevent us from talking about the mobile game Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, which is the consequence of not getting I feel any like reviews. The Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes thing needs a deadline. Like, at least Kong Skull Island, or Kong versus Godzilla, whatever, had and a we deadline. Did, and then we got We did already have to, to devote. We did already have to devote a segment to talking about Star Wars Galaxy right. Heroes when we had a week. So when are you going to spare so, us? When do we get a new topic here? What? Let's, let's, say, let's say the the other side of the quarter coil seems like a good okay. place. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, I, in the meantime, we'll brainstorm new threats. Exactly. Oh, there will be a new threat after Plenty the quarter coil. Chell seven two five. This review was very helpful. Thank you all to to leaving them. Thank you all for listening. Go on iTunes, fighting in the war room. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the show. Keep on keeping on. It's going to change to uh, reviews or Galaxy Brains plug. Oh, yeah. I will. I'll start. I would love to threaten to leave reviews. The new podcast, Galaxy Brains, available on all podcast apps. I love that. I had a threat. David had a threat. It's my turn for threats. Seems like you could be. My threat is just me talking. Katie is gone. What else should we do besides talk about video games? Oh, video <laughs> games. It's video game talk time on the pop culture podcast about movies mostly. Um, yeah, let's talk about video games because for a few reasons. I'm playing one that I'm really enjoying. I'm going to talk about in a bit. But two, I'm more fascinated by the game of the moment. Uh, the first kind of, I think it's the first. David, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. But is this like the first PlayStation 5 exclusive? We want to talk about... Uh, Returnal, this new game that is causing so much strife. I've never seen people bust a nut, uh, and I can say that because it's the boys' podcast. Um, 
People are just losing their minds over Returnal because from the sound of it, it's long stretches of gameplay, difficult gameplay, boss fights and all that, but there is no save option. Like you might play for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or something and then die and then have to go all the way back to the beginning. Is this entertainment? Is this video game fun, David? Is Returnal a good time on your couch? Uh, well, a number of things to address there. It is technically the first PlayStation 5 exclusive. There are other games that have been really high-profile PlayStation 5 releases. Miles Morales. Uh, but they were all... Uh, Miles Morales, even the, the Demon Souls remake, which technically only came out on the PS5, I believe. There may have been a PC version. I think it was just the PS5. But um, that was a remake. Miles Morales was also available on the PS4. Um, this is Returnal is a game that was built from the ground up for the PS5. It was teased as a launch game for the system originally before it was delayed. Um, and it does feel truly, as much as I enjoyed both the Dark Souls remake and uh, Miles Morales, it does feel like the first proper game of this new generation of consoles um, in every which way that it can, especially on the PS5 involving the DualSense controller and the haptic responses and the sounds that it makes. It's incredibly immersive. And who would have thought that the controller of all things that looks just like all the PlayStation controllers have for so long would be this incredible source of innovation. But uh, two patches point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, were ha- you were half right. It, it, they're... This is a roguelite game in the uh, tradition of something like Hades, um, where there are procedurally generated worlds that um, it's not completely random. There are six biomes in the game, and there are only so many variations of them, maybe a seemingly infinite number of them, but within certain parameters. And every time you die, the world reshuffles, and there are plot-related reasons for that. Um, And every time you die, you play this woman, Celine Vasos, who the game starts with her trying to find this alien signal coming from a planet that is giving very, very, very strong alien covenant planet vibes. And uh, she crash lands there. And every time you die in the game, she wakes up again, Groundhog Day style, back at her crashed spaceship. Um, And is is stuck there for all uh, eternity, it would seem. I'm trying to figure out the mystery of why she's stuck in this planet, why her 20th century uh, Earth home is sitting on this alien planet and filled with all of her creepy memorabilia, um, etc. And so it's an action game told mostly from the third person. You run around and it's very, very, very hard in a way that appeals to masochists like myself, in a way that appealed to Dark Souls fans, etc. Um, and when you die, you go back to the beginning. There are permanent unlocks. I mean, not just uh, the progress is a lot less defined than it is in something like Hades. You don't, there are long runs and the runs are much, much longer. You can beat Hades, one run through of Hades in about 20 minutes. Uh, Runs in Returnal can last hours and often do. I mean, between two and three hours if you're really cooking with gas and and making progress through the biomes and collecting uh, all the different weapons you you need to be powerful for the bosses at the end. Um, And yeah, you can die and go back to where you started. You have There's some currency that carries over. There are permanent unlocks. Um, And when you kill a boss, the boss does not respawn. So you only have to kill the bosses once, which is a big deal. I think where a lot of the consternation was coming from in this incredibly fun game that is like lightning fast and makes you feel, even if you're only mediocre at it, uh, like you are like a Twitch (laughs) superstar. I mean, like it's this bullet hell thing. You're, You're 
ghosting through bullets that are coming at you and setting off triggers with your left trigger and alt fire and jumping and grappling hooking and you really feel like you are like fucking Fred Savage and the Wiz over here and um, that's really so this isn't breaking the waves the game this is not Von Trierian torture no but the thing is that like there is no autosave feature right so if you go to like the next biome um, and the longest a run can be is three biomes because the way the game's broken up like there is a little safe room at the start of the biome, and I think people have been sort of conditioned to expect that the game would would auto save <laughs> there, so that if you died, it started there. Or if your PlayStation, um, if you switch to another application, your PlayStation, or as has happened to a number of players, myself included, if the game either crashes, which has only happened to me once, knock on wood, or if the game auto updates while it's on rest mode, your run in media res will be erased um which can be pretty crushing i mean i sent uh, i'm not proud of this but uh you know when I, I was they sent me the game early to review and um it's very very hard and, and i in my best run in the end of the second biome the game crashed and i was coming up against the deadline i have my other jobs to do and i sent sony a panic email being like what am I like? Is there something I did to trigger this? Is there something you can tell me about what's coming up so that I can understand how much time I have left? Like, I was really just a cry to the heavens, Lars von Trier style patches, <laughs> uh, for some sort of sign from God and, and um, faith to continue on. And uh, Sony, and I don't blame, for, blame them for this, never emailed me back. <laughs> but uh, the next day, in a testament to how addictive and fun it is just to play this game, I just, you know. Uh, nutted up, as Matt Patches would always say, <laughs> and uh, and was actually on that first run um, because of how the game sort of teaches you how to play it, was able to get past where So maybe this is more Herzogian than uh, it is Sure, it's that might be a better analogy. But it is, the game's called Eternal, I don't know if we mentioned that, um, <laughs> and it is, uh, it is very, 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 very fun. If you like your games hard and punishing, but very cathartic, um, these like really breathlessly intense boss fights that leave you, uh, you don't even realize that you sort of been holding your breath for the last couple of minutes or however long one can hold the breath and, uh, and are just sort of um, so over the moon about that beating them. I mean, this is definitely the kind of game for you. I know there's a limited, a limited group out there who have their hands on a PlayStation five. It's still wild. Still have, yeah. It's wild. And it's so expensive and returnal as a game is $70. Wow. Uh, I really, you know, one of the, the several reasons that I'm pushing into games coverage is because I can't afford to play these games and I really want to. And so um, the, the dozens of hours I'll spend uh, pouring into this assignment is worth it for the $70. I don't have to, um, but for everyone uh, else, I loved it. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, Dave, are you playing anything? It doesn't seem like you could possibly be playing anything that, punishing but um i don't know how no Apex i resisted buying pokemon snap just to have something completely unpunishing to do because it is like 60 dollars, and <clears throat> i don't like i could wait it doesn't help me with any other of my pokemons uh but i am still uh grinding apex legends because i tapped out at uh 500 xp which is the top leveling out and so i was like getting so close i was in like the 480s at the beginning of this season. So every once in a while, just like drop in and shoot some people. It's a uh, battle Royale free to play shooter that they're coming out with like a mobile version of, which seems insane. But isn't Uh, that what Fortnite has or does? 
Well, Fortnite... Isn't this how Fortnite is... became the biggest thing on the planet and currently going to legal battle with Apple right now? Yeah, I guess Fortnite is a different type of battle royale game in the sense you could like do other things in there. You could obviously like build cover. Uh, you don't have to necessarily have a high frame rate experience. Apex Legends is based on the Titanfall series of like so movements very important, frame rates important, bullet drop like exists. So they did introduce a Switch version of Apex Legends, uh, which I tried and is very difficult because it runs at like. Half the frame rates, and when's uh, the APOC version coming out? Am I right? Hey, hey! <laughs> Sorry, there was. I, I just went through like a fifteen-second internal battle as to whether or not that joke was worth the time it would take to make, and <laughs> I only ultimately decided decide. that it was. <laughs> Vote now, uh, but yeah. In terms of like other interesting, weird uh, gaming news, I'm also excited that Nintendo, like two years after its release, finally updated. Uh, Mario Party so you could yes. play the actual game online. I wish this hadn't happened a year plus into a pandemic. It would have been great yeah. for when I was trying to figure out things to do with people and playing Jackbox games for like the 8 billionth yeah, but, time. but Patches, Mario Golf is coming I this summer for very, the first time since the GameCube days. very pumped about oh games God, that I, I can actually dominate it. the Polygon staff at. Uh, I was the reigning Mario Tennis champ and uh, people are worried about my Mario Golf. Oh, I can't Golf. fuck with Mario Tennis but my PD Piranha well, we'll take you on in Mario Golf. <laughs> uh, well, I will. I will wrap this uh, gaming segment by suggesting people play something much more calm and much more zen than I can imagine Returnal to be. And that is a game that uh, came out, I think, in August of last year. But to your point, David, like I cannot. I, I, well, I have buyer's anxiety about everything. I can't buy uh, buying a sixty dollar game gives me a lot of stress or just even imagining it and um so i recently signed up for xbox game pass which allows me to just download games that people played six to eight months ago um (laughs) for you know the price of a like a netflix subscription essentially and i can try games and then put them down and try new games um it's my way of life i do not need to be up to date with things so i am playing a game called spirit fair which came out last year and it is just lovely it is pretty stark um it is about uh this young woman named stella taking over the job of charon to shepherd the dead through the gates uh into the afterlife and uh but the the animation style it's like almost like graphics from lucas arts games uh 2d animation just beautiful uh, kind of Eastern influence too. It has this Miyazaki vibe to it. You run a ship across the ocean, and uh, the the studio behind it, Thunder Lotus Games, has described it as a a cozy management game about dying. Um, and I think that is a very very apt title because uh, as you pick people up, everyone seems to have a connection to the Stella character from their her life. But she is a, a young black woman, and all the people, all the spirits she picks up are like anthropomorphized animals. So you have a, a deer woman smoking cigarettes on your boat, and you have a happy-go-lucky giant toad on your boat, and you have to build them uh, a kitchen, and you have to build them houses, and you have to jet around this giant map and steer your boat and go fishing and 
make them food. And it's just like such a pleasant, wonderful experience to make them happy. You have to give them hugs and feed them uh, and go to different islands and complete their quests so that they can eventually die. And they talk a lot about death and life on Earth and how much they miss being with Stella in the in the real plane, the mortal plane. Um, and there's just this, this sadness to it that I think creeps into a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff. And I, I feel that thematic connection, too. Um, playing it has been I, I actually as i told you guys before the podcast uh ate polygons dog food that's the tech phrase uh and i looked at a list of like game calming games to play during these tough times and spirit fair was was high on that list and i would highly endorse the recommendation from that vantage point of just like if you want something really peaceful Spirit Fair is a perfect game. It's also something I will play at like 11.30 at night and by 11.50 I will be falling asleep on my couch because the music is so melodic and beautiful and the visuals, it kind of, you know, the sun will come up and then it will set and then the sun will come up. You have to get all your jobs done before then and then the sun will set and you have to go to bed. Um, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful game to play. I'm really enjoying it and I would never in a million years play Returnal, which sounds stressful as fuck, and I will not be doing <laughs> but, that. So. But do you need a shitty Xbox to play this game, or can you do it on... You can play it on Xbox One, on PlayStation 4, the Switch, oh, it's PlayStation on your 4. computers, I... but I'm playing it with the Xbox oh, okay. X through Game Pass, and it looks amazing on my big TV. I will just, I will say, I and it, it's great to know that it's on all the systems, that as stressful as something like Returnal can be, there is a kind of zen, to go back to a word you said earlier, when you're really sort of locked in those rhythms um and you know yeah and you you sort of tap into the patterns you feel like you're at one with the matrix um it is kind of calming it is something that i've been playing late at night if only because it's the only time i have to play it um and as wired as it can make me at certain points it also um i find sort of a good way of decompressing as well games they're the new movies hey what a segue to our mini segment (laughs) Uh, well, our mini segment is basically about picking up what Patch has just left off about the new movies, whether the old movies or the new movies, the future of movie theaters, uh, really hinging on this trailer that I would imagine a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably saw today that Marvel released. Trailer might not be the right word for it. This this sizzle reel um, that was, you know, go back to the movies propaganda. It was a love propaganda. letter to the movies. Yeah, I mean, it was really, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it really, my, uh, the feeling I came away from it was like the movies and Marvel are now indistinguishable from one another. Um, but in Marvel, you know, the movies have become a synonym for going to the movies has become a synonym for, for seeing some Marvel junk. But the, uh, which is funny because uh, we're coming very, off two different Disney plus exclusive Marvel series that connect to these movies that you need to watch to fully understand. Mm-hmm. Well, they want to have it every which way, but the, uh, 
this this clip reel was for you know the power of the movies. They had clips of audiences on opening night watching the end of Endgame. Um, there were clips fun. from a number of different Marvel movies, and then they teased a couple of the movies that are still coming up in the pipeline. They revealed the title. Of, yes, please say them out uh, loud for us. Okay, so we have Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. We have. I'm going off memory here, <laughs> yes. so let's let's see. Yeah, you're doing a good job have, so far. Right. Thank you. Uh, we have. Uh, the Marvels. The Marvels. Captain Marvels. The Mar- just Marvels. Marvels. Just the Marvels. Marvels. Drop I got that right. I got that right. Uh, yeah, no, no, just no, Marvels. No, it's just, it's the Marvels. I was then quoting the Marvels. <laughs> okay. Um, we have uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. That's an old one. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Qua- uh, Ant Man three, like quadru- <laughs> Keep going into the. Quadraneros. No, that's not right. In, not Quadrophenia. Um, Quantumphenia. Mm-hmm. You're close. Quantumania. 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 Uh, you have uh, Shang-Chi and the Seven Rings. Right? That's coming out like ten. in a month, a few weeks. Ten rings. Ten ten rings. They added three more rings? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> all right. It's going to be a long movie. Um, there is the the Eternals we knew about. Um not to be confused with Tarsem's The Immortals. Um, who would confuse those things? And who has thought of Tarsem's Immortals in years? <laughs> I think of it every day. Uh, and there was one other day. Now, oh, there was a there was the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three that doesn't have a subtitle. Um, Don't forget about three, Fantastic Four, the unnamed reboot without a release date, but keeps. It's just it, the ending of every. Marvel mega trailer. I like that. Wait, was that in there today? I missed that yeah. entirely. Yeah, it was the end of the thing. It's just like the, the coming out sometime logo. after Guardians in 2023. Is but it was just like a logo yeah, that yeah, didn't yeah. show. I see. Um, Directed by John I Watts. Did. You love his films like Spider-Man, uh, Far From absolutely. Home, Spider-Man. I'm a, I'm a big Watts head. Homecoming, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. <laughs> no Way Home. There we go. That's the one. And then Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and Black Widow. Right, 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 right. Uh, all of these right. movies. So we got all of this, and and I was talking to some people earlier who were saying that it felt – I'm not sure how they got to this conclusion, but whatever. They were saying that it felt like a uh, a eulogy for cinema, you know, which is sort of counter to its intention, which was to get people hyped about re- returning to the theaters and saying that these sort of marquee Marvel experiences can only be had uh, in theaters um, as opposed to the dog shit they shovel onto Disney Plus, um, and uh, you know it's it's funny how quick. I mean, we'll see what happens with the Loki show, but it's funny how quick the quality gap that used to exist between the Netflix Marvel shows and the movies has already reasserted itself, um, at least to my eyes. Even though a lot more people are paying attention to the Disney Plus shows for sure, um, but yeah, I mean, so it just led to the question, especially now that we have screenings coming up for In the Heights, uh, that they're not giving a screening link option. I mean, it's like. The first emails today were for that. Were for for Quiet Place Two. Um, yeah, that the Quiet Place Two back email, in the theater seats. We're showing this. Yeah, movie I made like no. There, there was a reference to like apply, you know, um, uh, complying with COVID protocols, but it had a lot less language than most of the emails I've gotten about the odd private in theater screenings about about the pandemic. I mean, it really feels like the movie industry, with can around the corner, with the summer movie season happening, is is trying to. Uh, trying to reassert some balance and bring people back into exhibition. So we were just talking about what the future, what the future of this year at the movies might look like. If you guys think that audiences 
will return, as it seemed from the previous weekend where Mortal Kombat and Demon Slayer were both making a pretty decent coin at the theaters that they were going to return Relatively to theaters, or, or like this previous weekend when both those movies dipped 70%. Yeah. Like, what is the... <laughs> What what is the forecast for the rest of this year going to look like to you? I think it'll probably accelerate. Like putting uh, Black Widow as like a benchmark in terms of Marvel and linking Marvel to theaters, I don't think is bad. I think, uh, but I, we talked about this a little bit on my other podcast uh, in one of our Patreon specials. Uh, but I think we all voted like F nine. F9 is going to be the one that gets everybody back into theaters. Yeah. Well, Vin Diesel's also, just like Marvel released that mega teaser trailer thing, um, Vin Diesel has put out a video promoting F9 that's like, hey, come back to the theaters. This is where the magic happens. Uh, that's a terrible Vin Diesel, but um, <laughs> that, that, was, was that? Uh, that was real bad. That was, uh, was but that? I think I think in the Heights is. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the quite the same financial potential as F Nine because very few films do. But I do think that in the Heights is shaping up to be a big hit. But these movies um, are still going to come out on HBO Max, like the Warner Brothers stuff. I don't know if they expected true. us to be back in theaters so quickly, but we're still getting all those movies. I keep forgetting that in the Heights the is opening day and day. Year. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So um, I don't know if that one's going to do so well. I mean, we need an F9. We need a Black Widow. We need these things that were maybe going to make $300 million, make maybe $100 million in theaters this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think In the Heights is definitely going to eclipse probably more than double what Mortal Kombat did, even if it's opening day and date. Um, I do think that's something that people are going to want to see in a communal setting. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think F9 really is the, the summer benchmark. But the question is, like, is that going to... We know trickle-down economics doesn't work, but is trickle-down <laughs> theatrical exhibition where these hits give new life to specialty distribution and the, the Well, yeah. that's why I don't find the Marvel stuff to be a eulogy. Like, they're keeping the movie theaters open. And the fact that movie theaters will be open, I think other movies will find their way in. Like, I think Green Knight, stands to be a successful movie this year. I think Zola, A24 Zola, could be a pretty big movie uh, as it slowly rolls out over the summer. Um, it's just, it's a crowd pleaser. Been, uh, and I think the trailers like are just going to blow since, people's uh, minds. I saw Zola. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, right? Um, reviewed it out of Sundance 2019. But uh, I think that movie will just get so much buzz. Oh my God, yeah, 2020. I forgot. Part of 2020 was still like normal life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, don't don't you think that these these are true tent poles now in the way that we used to call them a tent pole kept the whole tent up that kept yeah. these movie theaters propped up and they will again yeah i hope so i mean you know but the thing the way that hollywood's been operating for the, for so long now is that the, the tent poles are really just uh are really just sustaining themselves and they need to make a billion dollars to break even and they're only keeping the tent up high enough to fit another tent pole under it and um, it hasn't. But really maybe Marvel movies are the biggest the... movies on the planet now, and all the other studios need to to figure out a new plan. Like I, I don't get worried about Marvel having the. I don't care if the top ten biggest grossing movies of the year are all Marvel movies. Some people cry, shed a tear over that, but like, who cares? Why does it matter what is the top box office as long as some other movies need to out 
outmaneuver Marvel. Need to catch the well, audience. Well, the as long place. as is doing a lot of work in that sentence because it needs to be worth the while, particularly for smaller distributors, to continue releasing their smaller films into theaters. I mean, it's it's great if Marvel's keeping the lights on, but, but don't you think that over all time, twenty five screens at the AMC twenty five are showing the same? Well, I think Captain Marvel but movie. The, 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 there, there, there needs to be an injection of like a tentpole just like to get everybody back into theaters but like the yes. the positive side of that is it could be you know like everybody's first hit of a new strain of weed they like and they're like oh yeah <laughs> theaters fuck yeah that's honestly great. yes that that's a great analogy like yeah. people will get rehooked and i also think you know maybe not every indie distributor will survive this but new ones will crop up like i, I do think that that part of the industry will survive even if the players currently won't and that's well, i hope but... that's right but i do think that what you guys were both saying a second ago is incredibly true people it's not just about being rehooked i think it's people need to get back into that habit they need to i can tell go their, to the movies they're like yeah exactly they need to remember that it is a thing in their lives that they have the possibility to do and they need to convince their yeah. some part of their brain uh, that it is safe again um, and that is a hurdle to get over even for those of us those people like us who have been fully vaccinated still um, you know you have to retrain that old muscle to um, actually entertain that as something that you can do in a night because we've just been shut away for so long uh, so I do think what you guys are saying is right on the money that like one trip to the theater particularly a enjoyable one uh, that that lets people really get high off that experience, um, like a new strain of weed, uh, will will be what galvanizes. Like you have that high off of F nine, and then the next time there's a movie that you were kind of on the fence about, and we're like, oh, maybe I'll watch this on HBO Max, or maybe I'll just watch it in six months when it's available if it's not on HBO Max. Uh, that they'll then be like, I'm just going to go to the theater and see Especially, it. Especially yeah, testing the waters. Like I've been out of my house. Oh, I can go out of my house again. Or <laughs> and and I like. Marvel calling it shot, being like 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, movie theaters, they'll still be there. Get ready. Like, get back in the rhythm of this shit. Um, well, what do they have to lose? I mean, if they, uh, obviously, they make a shit ton of money off of movie ticket sales, but if movie theaters in some post apocalyptic hellhole do not exist in 2023, there's no binding legal language that prevents Marvel from pivoting to uh, Disney Plus for the rest of their slate. They did it for, for Black Widow, so. Um, they could also be you know. la- last people out of theaters, and that that's, would be like a little line in the history books. And, like, and then there was only Marvel movies, and then there was nothing. Uh, fortunately, that's not exactly how it's going to go down. But, uh, please, <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to be when, extremely positive and extremely <laughs> negative in this segment. <laughs> um, mission accomplished. Uh, but yeah, it'll be curious. Interesting to see. Uh, I still think so many of these doom and gloom articles and ways of thinking about it are are somehow forgetting that there's a pandemic. I mean, like, obviously there are real financial ramifications of movie theaters being closed the last year. You've seen it with the arc light, which is particularly harrowing, but, um, you know, so much of the, the behavioral analysis conveniently ignores the fact that people have not been able to go to the movie theaters without risking death from an airborne contagion uh, over the past 15 months. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens when that threat is diminished. Go to the movies when you are vaxxed and when things feel safe. That's what I said. Is that a good idea? I don't know, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. one <laughs> one movie, one really oh, there goes my microphone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one really good new movie that. Wait, uh, are you starting the se- third segment? 
I'm going to kick it off to you. But no, this is all Dave. That you Dave are, says. Uh, fine, but, but if someone doesn't want to capitalize on the natural segue that you've already ruined. There's no natural segues on the, the show. The, the shows don't breaks. have segues. <laughs> Mitchell's vs. the Machines is available now on Netflix. It is a very charming animated film from Sony Animation, who is rising in my esteem. (laughs) Sony Pictures Animation? No, I mean, they made it, but they didn't put it out. They sold it off. They did not put it out. They they gave it to Netflix. I was just leading because I'm going to have a lot of good things to visually say about this movie and in terms of, like, an animation studio. They they gifted it to Netflix as a... as a favor yeah thanks the, thanks for uh giving my us esteem of them dollars. is 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 rising uh it's directed by mike renata this is uh first time uh directing a uh feature film uh but he's worked on stuff like gravity falls and animated things that uh we like it is written by himself and uh his co-director jeff rowe and produced by uh lord and miller of uh lego movie uh claudia with a chance of meatballs a version of Solo we'll never get to see Lego. Fame. Did you say Lego? You're, you're, say Lego. You skipped over what I would think would be your go-to reference Spider-Man. for them. Which would be Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Which is uh, like, uh, I mean, we will eventually get to how uh, Mitchell's Rest of the Machines also uses uh, some fun 2D elements and 2D, 3D blending elements to get its look out. But let's talk a little bit about the plot first. It uh, follows Katie Mitchell. She's going to be our protagonist. She is the uh, daughter, the eldest daughter of a two-child, four-person uh, family. Well, five if you count their dog, Manchi, who is a uh, hideous but hilarious-looking pug. <laughs> who is played by, uh, and I learned all of this from the press notes and had no idea what any of it meant beforehand, internet-famous dog, Doug the Pug. Oh, it's played by a famous pug. Uh, she is about to go off to film school in California, but her father, Rick, feels like there's a rift between their relationship and decides to repair that rift by taking her, uh, to college via road trip, uh, with the entire family. Uh, the mom who's, uh, I want to say Linda, but maybe it's because I've watched Bob Burgers recently. Awesome. My Rudolph works. Yeah, my Ru- mom, Linda, my Rudolph, uh, the younger brother, Aaron, and uh, they all get in a car and are going on a road trip. And it seems like, you know, some fun family drama until basically the new Apple product uh, develops sentience and it happens to be a robot. So the titular machines are robots uh, that are attempting to take all humans and shoot them into space. And the only people <laughs> they manage not to round up are the Mitchells who have to then verse the machines and themselves. Yes. The struggle Mm. is real. I mean, I I don't want to put uh, too much of a logical, you know, water test against this movie. Um, There's a lot of plot holes in that way, I would say. That 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 was just one detail that I took note of when I was watching it. I mean, this is a really wonderful movie that I thoroughly enjoyed, but um, the the way that they sell the idea that only this one average American family managed to survive the robot apocalypse is is done in the most sort of sketchy, half-assed way possible. But you know what? I was having so much fun, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the other thing is, like, if these robots wanted to shoot 
all of the people into space. Why didn't they just shoot them into space instead of assembling them into a rocket ship and then shooting them into space? Well, if you know an easier way to shoot I, every I human just, being into space, I would like to hear it's it. It's just a question. I just ask the questions. <laughs> um, what I really like about this movie is it, like, you know, children's movies that or family movies, I guess, that can be enjoyed by all ages, has uh, pop culture references, but very rarely does it, like, tell you that it's doing them. It'll just be like, this is obviously Tron, or this is obviously, like, for me, Chopping Mall, or I'm sure at one point where they're, like, all uh, together in, like, a roadside um, uh, convenience store that's referencing very specifically some film that I can't pull out, but I just kind of, like, pulled out some mist-looking mist shots out of my mind. It was like, oh, this is kind of like The Mist, without them having to be, like, even though the the lead character is a big film fan, I think only, like, once or twice does she specifically reference movies. There's like, a- <laughs> But when she does, it is, uh, it, it is really... Really Wait, what movie I mean, there, are you thinking of? Well, there, there is a uh, bit in the beginning where we are seeing some of the student films that she's made. And there's at one point, there's like a wall of posters behind her. And the references are dynamite. I mean, I don't want to give them away, but uh, I have on Twitter. But uh, if you are watching it and just, you know, have your pause button at the ready, one of the advantages of this movie being out on Netflix. Um, there are in jokes out the yes, wazoo. Much like Spider Every, every, every frame Lord of and this Miller movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot of detail in there. Even the title card is bursting with little little. Fun yeah, jokes. maybe some of the best signage in movies since The Simpsons. Wait, that's not a movie, but they they <laughs> really good signs. In terms I of the art of good signage. Yes. Watching this movie for for the first time, I definitely perked up when you get in a you know ostensibly it's a kids movie. Um, you get a Rainer Werner Fassbinder and a Portrait of a Lady on Fire reference in the first five minutes. Um, they certainly had my attention. Yeah, and then like you guys said, the plot is a, a little janky to get where we need to be, I think, emotionally uh, with the characters. I remember at one point being like, oh, this is going to be a nice like uh, a little movie. I see where this is going. And then I like, tapped my screen and was halfway through and I was like, oh, interesting. Are you saying uh, it's it's long? Is that what you're saying? I'm I'm not saying it's a little it's long. long. It's a little it might be a little long. The last act where like it's just action popping off left and yeah. right, and it's it's really colorful and it, cool. it feels like uh, a light show, uh, you know, to an next extreme. But it is definitely my eyes definitely glazed over, and I think that some of the uh, connective tissue between the characters, which is so strong and heartrending um, at its essence, especially in the first half of the movie, kind of fades yeah, away. Yeah, everyone has to that split up, and there's like it. three different ways they have to solve the machine problem. But yeah, but the, these are the nitpicks, main, and I think. The main thing for the movie, for me, that in Patches, I mean, Dave, I don't know, anyone can relate to, is, is that oh, yeah. it's, you know, as much as Katie is the main character, it's really a movie about how the relationship between parents and children kind of ossifies through like no fault podcast. of anyone's... Katie might be the main character, but it's really about everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, through no fault of anybody's own, I mean, these are good people who love each other and they have their own um, foibles and failings and strengths. But uh, there is the fact that, that the dad and Katie were at one point best friends and um, inseparable when she was seven and eight and they did all these things together. And now they are just on totally different wavelengths. And he is 
feeling in a way that, you know, I'm definitely vulnerable to these days. Um, already, even though my kid is so young, this, this fear of what's going to happen when they don't need you anymore. Um, and sort of the double-edged sword of having something be that responsible or be you being that responsible for someone. And in the movie really, really, uh, in a way that I connect to taps into that, that fear and also the, um, need for personal liberty that you have on the child side of things uh, around that time of life and um, tackles it in a realistic way that I don't know. I mean, that problem is so foundational to the makeup of families that it's hard to sort of patch up at the end of a three-act movie. And so maybe that's why um, the conclusion feels a bit rushed in that regard. But the way that the relationship is detailed as they sort of trace what the issues are is, is I found really honest and moving. Yeah, I mean, I, I was crying a bit during this movie in the early parts and in the conclusion, um, seeing the dad... And the dad is dimensional. Like, the characters are, are really well thought out here. Um, the dad being this guy who's just against technology in every way. Could have been such a stock character, hating the cell phones, hating Katie's passion for making internet video. Um, but here he is, just like, looking back through his picture albums. Hey, he, he was an artist in his own way. He was, like, building log cabins and sculpting out of wood. And he loves the land. And he um, loves Katie. And the, and the pictures, like, they sing T.I.'s Live Your Life a bunch in the street. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so cute seeing them do sing-alongs. And, like, it's the bond is so realized. And I, I thought a bit about, like, what we've been arguing on this podcast, the last couple of animated movies we've covered with like Pixar stuff, we're just either feeling manipulated or feeling like they're too they're too idea driven instead of emotion driven. And I did wonder for a second if like, is this movie manipulating me? Is it easy to show a dad and a daughter uh, disconnecting and fighting? And am I just bringing fatherhood mm, to this? There, but, there, like, there are ways that it's easy, but what you're picking up on is this family doesn't get like willfully mad at each other you right. know i think maya like... rudolph's performance in this movie does a lot to make the emotions real and the, and the father-daughter struggle real like being the third person in this dynamic trying to figure out like we love all we all love each other katie is a special individual the dad is a special individual who lives his own life like how can we all be together we worked at one point why don't we work anymore like that's a really tough thing for her to figure out because she is a real person too she's not just someone to like prop up the dad she has to figure out how to be a good mom in this scenario and it's like it's complicated and i think the whole all the characters are there because they're all yes anding each other even in conflict like the easy way to do like a teenage daughter that doesn't connect with the dad is like have her be like shut off and not sharing things with anybody or like that sort of thing. But she shares her video life with, you know, her brother who's pretty well balanced and her mom is aware that there is this like disconnect and the mom and the father have uh, conversations about the disconnect. And you feel like uh, because of all of that, like honesty, you feel like the, if Rick and Katie figured out a way to talk to each other, um like they both really want to i think there isn't like a willful hurting of the other's feelings with maybe one exception that kind of like feels false and like a plot contrivance but for the most of this movie it, it feels real because there isn't a time period where the family like turns against each other it's a inability to connect 
rather than a conflict within the family that causes like the, the right. awkward the main, moments. And the, the main jokes. thrust of the plot is that Katie's going to go to film school. She's going to go off to college and her dad cancels the plane ticket. And then they're going to take a cross country road trip together. And, and but he cancels the plane ticket because he's so desperate for like one last yeah. attempt to cross the, the sort of riff. That's and first off, this movie definitely hit me with that moment where she realizes what's happening. And I became very furious on her behalf. Holy shit. If this had happened to me, I would have been so, so upset. Um, definitely brought me back to those, those college age brain and college age moments. But uh, to your point, Dave, like they never, they don't explode in that way. Like Katie's still like, okay, I guess I'll go on the road trip and I do love my brother and my family and I'll, I'll try and make the best of it. And then they go embark on this road trip where they're kind of having, fun like they're still enjoying the life and you can see how the the best version of this family would exist if they weren't running into this particular fracture um and and i love the divide i love that it's about technology but not in a condescending way like we can love the internet we can love being goofy and we can acknowledge that we're all glued to our phones and that making eye contact with each other for more than 10 seconds is an absolute struggle in the year 2021. That There's a scene where they, they do exactly that, sitting at the t- dinner table, looking at each other. Such a funny visual gag, such a fuck, you totally caught us, like you're, we have been owned by this scene. Um, but it's not condescending to the to the internet to the point where it's like there's tons of internet gags like lots of uh instagram filter jokes and like decals on screen um and it all it's all part of the aesthetic it all is is loving and and finding joy in the internet in a way that i don't think many movies that i can think of at all have ever embraced the internet in this way it's always a horror show it's always something to be feared and here it's her gateway her art her well what's funny is that she is i mean she's going to film school she loves as i mentioned earlier you know her, her, her tastes are far-ranging but they include rainer Werner fassbender it's good that she went to california film school let's be honest if she but, had gone to nyu or columbia she would have been eviscerated we can let's just say but what i'm saying is like her style the style of films that she has made you know as a child and, and as a teenager all feel heavily like tiktok influenced hmm. they are sort of like cute viral videos and not necessarily I mean, they're not you know I, I, i'm not disapproving of that i think it's no she'll fun be that the movie uh, she'll allows that to be branded her. marketing and that sort of thing she'll do no well. but it's like that the movie allows it to be a natural point of expression for her it, it does position the internet as a tool for her to express herself in a way that she no longer really can in her family and yeah i mean there's value and maybe even more money to be made in that's, <laughs> that's what i kept thinking i'm like why is her dad uh, worried she is going to get a job yeah. at some huge marketing company like really quickly and be well on her way to she'll start her own youtube page and oh she'll be fine she's gonna make bang she, she she already has her own youtube page that's true i mean it's the head to, of that's the very fake, key to the plot patch that's true the head of fake google uh it loves her dog videos so you have to wonder how many views they have and if she is already raking in the bugs, well, her pug her is YouTube. famous. Yeah, cop, pug cop or dog cop or whatever his name is. Dog cop, um, <laughs> dog, pig, bread. That is a great joke too. That they cannot tell if the dog is a loaf of bread. Um, there's so much Lord and Miller. I got. I do wonder how Lord and Miller operate with these movies because the humor is consistent on some level. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure this is like Gravity Falls, which is a show, a beloved show um, that has its own weird sense of humor and also its its own 
kind of loving embrace of, of weird people or uh, outsiders and uh, people have made a note that Katie is uh, 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 I don't know if she is a lesbian or if she is queer at some level but at the end of the movie they kind of tack on like hey how's your girlfriend doing um, it's also no but it's also at the beginning of the movie I mean it's not I mean that's a big distinction I mean it's very much in the background and in a way that I think it's, it's in the, the beginning dynamic How? Yeah, yeah yeah there's a you can see it in like one of the first oh, okay. shots of the movie there, there are details about it um, I mean, it seems like it, based on her connection on to the reference. there's a girl at college already, or who she's been talking to, who she's like very yes. into. And so at, it is to Patch's point from earlier, the amount of fury that any of us would have at our parents for making us miss college orientation <laughs> is hard to put into <laughs> that, words. That was but, the, um, that was the phrase. It's like we we can skip orientation. It's like no man, this is no where you it can't. all happens. <laughs> this is where it all happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you're listening out there and you're going Please to college, uh, you show up for orientation. That's not going to determine the friends you make for the rest of your life, but you don't want to feel but like it might determine the, the STDs you have for life. Just so oh play boy. it safe. Um, but there, you know, as you know, <laughs> Dave what Dave was saying earlier, this movie does what, not go what, there. <laughs> what Dave was saying earlier about the family, I think this is a really key distinction about it being an inability to communicate, not um, it, it's not coming from a callousness or a cruelty. It's really just like an even sadder inability. They, they want to, but they can't. And uh, I think the fact that she is queer in some way is um, – and that her family seems to accept that wholeheartedly. Uh, and the, But there's no – you know, you would think a movie in this day and age, you know, hopefully we're moving to a place where like Mitchell's and the Machines, it can just be sort of an ambient detail. But And they would treat it with the same amount of focus they would her uh, heterosexuality. But um, that there's no – conflict around that and it's indicative of a family where there isn't a lot of conflict i mean right. like the the problem is not well not the problem isn't a lack of conflict but the problem is that like they are all so passive with each other now that they've all just sort of let them fall into their separate well the bases. dad loves her too much like i don't want her to get hurt i don't want her to fail <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to, we don't want to imply that like he should be upset about anything about her life, but um, it's just that it's it's a fine line between just you, you loving people and disengaging from them, and this obviously extends far beyond their sexuality. I mean, it's it's just about um, uh, just sort of everyone sort of frozen in place and they're just sort of frozen. Uh, spinning in circles and it's like they're yeah frozen. yeah they can't um, they can't communicate with anybody else either which is sort of why you know college seems so it, uh, like attractive we don't we like meet a lot of her uh friends from like school the little boy has trouble expressing his like crush to so the mom uh is uh instagram stalking the neighbors next door and the dad is like always trying to fix things which he does successfully but it's just sort of like a natural doofus they all carry screwdrivers i like they that. all carry screwdrivers um i also liked casting chrissy Teigen and john legend as the perfect couple uh that you love to hate uh that's felt very although intimate. in a movie where yeah i i, I don't know if i clocked that it was their voices uh they, they only have a few lines but um in a movie where all of the voice performances are varying degrees of excellent, uh, including 
Beck Bennett as the Debrabot 5000. Beck Bennett and Fred Armisen are the... And Fred Armisen the, as the other... One of them is Eric robots. and one of them is the Debrabot 5000, right? The dysfunctional robots. Uh, there is a cameo in the second half of this film um, invo- on the on the flight, you know, where they're sending all the people up into... Uh, trying to shoot them all in outer space. That oh, yes. is funnier than the entire cumulative output of uh, imagination entertainments minion wow. movies and <laughs> um, everything else in like just the span of two minutes uh good well, stuff. i guess to really, loop back the, to really my hit the sweet spot for other me other question for you guys which is the humor in the movie the gags and stuff do you it, it's interesting to me that lord and miller they're a brand and their movies seem to have consistent humor but they're not writing them and they're not directing them and not to say that we should try and figure out like authorship here necessarily but do you think that this movie is consistent with those other movies or am I, am I glossing over the unique comedy elements of this movie? I I don't exactly know how they bring their humor to this, but it does seem consistent. Like having a giant Furby. Well, I I know Mike, uh, the director, Rianda, Rianda, uh, um, uh, he's, he's a millennial man. He's in 1984. So I, a lot of the references of this movie seem extremely millennial. Right, millennial dad man, to one me. of the phase four movies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but giant Furbies attacking people. That seems like something only a child of the mid eighties could potentially put in here. But, uh, yeah. What do you think of the humor? Is it, is this Lord and Miller again, or is it something more unique? Dave? Uh, I think a lot of it is Lord and Miller just in, I think the way we sort of read that is pacing. I would say their movies, their, their dialogue edit, like their soundtrack edit that they're animating to, I think they're very good at pacing them. Uh, I would say they would have like some hand in that. Uh, not like complete control. Obviously it's going to go to the directors and sound mixers and everything for like the final say. But if I were to talk about where they would be able to put their brand on a movie and be able to be felt across like that many different producers and like storylines. It would be that like, if you're really good at choosing the take and really good at knowing what the pace of a joke should be in relation to an action, I could see them coming in and, Start, and really helping with that. Well, that seemed to be the reason they got fired off solo, right? Because they wanted to do so many takes and then wanted to figure out like the perfect arrangement. They they seem like post production guys, where it's like we're going to finesse this joke, we're going to finesse the timing, and well, maybe yeah, that's and what that's they like... lend to all these directors, just like nailing that timing. Because the one thing that this movie is not for me is the frantic, chaotic pace of the Lego movies and the it's cloudy still movies. Pretty, it's not like it's that. Still it's pretty not as fast. spastic though. Like the cartooning might just be better. I, I I thought a lot about David during this movie, which David hates 3D it's animation, like, but this movie is yeah, beautiful and, one, and the cartooning uh, in this movie is wonderful. It really did not, you know, I, I am a, uh, a loud and proud hater of uh, 3D animation and uh, this movie did not did not uh, set off any alarm bells with me or make me want to I have a I guess. Mean, it is, I have a visual guess. There's a lot of 2D stuff woven in there, a lot of hand-drawn affects. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the characters didn't all feel samey and plastic, which is a, a big sin. The backdrop, the backdrop. The characters have an interesting, like, alive. outline to them, like a black outline, which I thought was interesting. So like, it's like a, a super saturated color outline. Like, it's not mm-hmm. always black. 
but it's on the model and it's doing like what I would say is like an inner shadow. So it's coming in. Is that a uh, Photoshop term, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's like, <laughs> so it's, it's coming on the interior of the shape, almost like a shadow would or like a highlight was, was, but it's triggered by more of like what angle the face or the arm is at. So it gives the illusion sort of like the, of bounding lines like you would have in 2D animation. It is incredibly smart. And I had to rewatch the first 10 movies, minutes of this movie again, because the first time I'm just like, why am I, why am I picking this up so much better visually than other like 3D animated, uh, you know, techniques. And it's not entirely, I mean, they they do a lot of cool, uh, uh, in anime, it would be called face faults, but I don't know. I guess Patches has called it like Instagram stickers, but 2D animated elements that are communicating uh, like a character's emotion or uh, something like that that are really cool and actually like 2D laid over. But I, it's like there's there's also something about the motion. I might need to like frame by frame it to see if like uh, they're doing any sort of weird... Uh, spider-man into the spider-verse s motion but i really think ultimately like that that line of saturated color is doing so much for definition because if you kind of pause it and you look at the characters at any given moment chances are it could look like just a really well textured 3d drawing it's very interesting yeah, and the, the characters never seem to operate in like 3d space if that makes sense to me like the, i always feel like my vantage point is is 2D and flat surfaces, and um, Spider-Verse had a similar effect at times. This is not like the Lego movie or something. This does not feel... It's not, I mean, it's, the animation is not quite as sort of forward-thinking and and obviously novel as that in Spider-Verse, but there are definitely, they're definitely fucking with the form a little bit, particularly in that I, uh, you know, glazing over third act, um, even when things are going haywire and I'm sort of emotionally checked out, there is certainly a lot to look at um, and none of it is unappealing. Um, and it's, yeah, it's the kind of 3D animation that, that I can live with. Uh, it feels like a far cry from the minions and Zootopias of the world. Um, please don't get up at my grill about Zootopia. <laughs> I know that movie. Like everything else in this world now has uh, dedicated stands like who are wanna, willing to like go like on Zootopia. Instagram photos of my child. I've been listening to that song. That, words uh, that I shouldn't say on this podcast. That, but, uh, what? that Gazelle sings at the end of uh, Shakira's uh, Terrible, but it's great. so bad. Um, but the, uh, yeah, no, Mitchell's Machines, not a problem. Uh, I found it very funny. I think, you know, I think that the, the Lord and Miller guys have a, a brand of humor that's obviously very successful and resonates with the public. And I think that, you know, when, when someone like Mike Rianta brings him a script to have her, that happened, they develop it internally, whatever. Um, and maybe he says, and I'm making this up as I go along here, but like maybe he says, I have this scene that has to do with a giant Furby uh, who's hacked by the machines. It's going to attack them. And then they uh, do a, a, you know, not the equivalent of a polish, but I would, I would imagine more of like a, a brainstorming session where they all, um, before they begin, you know, a long time before they begin animating, begin sort of hashing out ideas as to what sort of jokes that gag could have on it. And like, they have their influence. And then someone like Mike Rianta begins sort of thinking like them is already simpatico with their sense of humor. Um, you know, different enough from the kind of humor in something like Lego movie or spider verse to still have its own personal imprint. But it's, it's definitely in the same arena. It's definitely the same kind of irreverence that you'd find in those movies versus the, uh, you know, reference mania of a DreamWorks film or the, 
Um, I don't even know how to classify the humor in a Pixar movie non-existent. <laughs> Uh, and um, he, I mean, that's well, not always been true. And like, I'll I'll give it credit in that it's an animated movie that I like. That is entirely an original idea, as far as I could tell. This isn't a sequel. This isn't adapted from a book. This isn't uh, Lego deciding it wants to be in the movies now. You know, this isn't Spider Man. It just kind of popped out and existed. And if you're going to give me you know, 3D animated CG, you either have to attempt to be realistic to the point of like Toy Story 4 where you're thinking about lenses or just make something look like it's fucking an artistic choice. And I think that's where Mitchell's uh, versus the Machines really succeeded for me. Yeah, I mean, the character designs are everything in this movie. Just being cartoonish, being caricatures, being able... There's a scene where the... um, the the perfect couple, the Chrissy Teigen John Legend couple, escape the machines and do this like lotus blossom uh, routine where they're dancing on each other and and rolling over things and jumping to their car. And then when the Mitchell family tries to do it, it's a complete clusterfuck and they're flopping on each other. And the animation is so elastic and wonderful. I, I just I love watching these characters move, and they obviously have so much to move around when giant robots are chasing them. The other weird thing that I liked about this movie is that there were no guns. Is that a weird thing to, to gravitate towards here? All the no. robots have like um, tractor beam hands that pick things mm. up. They don't shoot anybody, which makes it, you know, I was debating if a three-year-old, my three-year-old could watch this movie. Probably not. It's a little too crazy. Um, but I can't imagine that you, she or any three-year-old would be able to like sit through it all in one go. Anyway, yeah, it's pretty long and, and grasps the plot or have any connection to it. But um, I, I will say this is a safer movie for younger kids because it's not actually that violent. Like things are blowing up, but there's no one trying to get shot or killed, and they're being like trapped in blobs. I, I think that's cool. Yeah, there's just something about the opening of this movie that is ineffable. This kind of holistic quality to it, where instantly you can tell you are in the hands of people who know and care greatly about what they're doing and have sort of thought through every facet of the movie, whether or not you're going to like them all and whether or not every joke is going to land for you or every part of the movie is going to connect. There, There is just a sense that they are telling the story that they wanted to tell. And, um, and it's just not, I mean, it's, it's, you can't really quantify it or, or, uh, you know, put it into words, but it's, it's there in a way that, um, I think, you know, you know it when you see it and it's absent from a lot of movies, a lot of movies in general, a lot of kids movies in particular, animated films. Uh, And yeah, I mean, it's just as soon as this movie started, you could just sort of lean back and be like, okay, I'm going to be for I'm in for an above average time at the very least. I laughed. I cried. I really cried. It's the number one movie on Netflix at the time of recording. So we're uh, clearly they're getting the word out. Um, Dave, would you watch? uh... Yeah. The Mitchells versus the Machines 2? What? No, nah, you probably... I, I don't see Go- that. Goofy happening. movie? Goofy movie. A very goofy movie. Uh, let's just go ahead and predict that Into the Spider-Verse 2 is uh, not going to premiere directly on a streaming platform. <laughs> sound like it. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. Next week, we'll be back. We're not watching anything. We're going to be playing a game. 
And it's not. Would you like to play a game? Yeah, wait, what, is that from Saul or is that from War? From Warden? Spiral, from the Book of Saul. Get it right. <laughs> My bad. Uh, yeah, we're going to be doing something a little different next week, and I'm very excited for it because I've uh, I've set up a plan. I have a plan, and you will all embark on that plan. It'll be a wonderful plan. I, I'm very excited to share next week's podcast with people. Tremendous. Um, dangerously close the to like a Trumpian yeah. uh, rhythm there, patches. Oh wow. But. Have I been morphed by the last four years? It's be a great plan. plan. plan it's the a wonderful plan. plan. <laughs> greatest plan. Uh, remember that guy? He's really gone. It's just great. Yeah. Uh, well, though? the effects, he... I, I understand. Not it's a toxic enough, environment. No, not Which would enough. be arrested. We'd have to go back in time and do a lot of film work. Uh, anyway, get excited for next week. And why don't we also tell people where they can find us on the internet? Wait, I usually go first here. I don't want to keep talking, though. Dave? Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast, although not currently. If you go to the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast, uh, instead you will find uh, Joanne Robinson talking to Damon Lindelof, where he reveals that one of his favorite characters in all fiction, this was one of the questions she asked, uh, is Jules from Pulp Fiction. Find out why the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast. Might have to do that. And uh, Dave, Bid? Uh, yeah, that's my name. It's both syllables. Dave you said them. Bid? <laughs> uh, what do I do here? Uh, I, I'm on Twitter uh, occasionally, at Dave Ehrlich, writing. Uh, a re- I really am in the middle, as we record this, uh, of writing a long and sort of delirious profile about Andrew Garfield, who's in the New Geo oh, wow. Mainstream. Um, who we had a wild, wild time. I spoke to him for a couple hours last week, and uh, it's a fascinating conversation. I cannot make any predictions as to whether or not any of that what Andrew Garfield character do you think Andrew Garfield is most like? Well, that's actually one of the things we kind of talk about at length in, oh, in, in, in a roundabout way in this uh, interview. Um, I did not ask him that directly, but we talked a lot about his the way that his shadow self manifests in the number of the roles Whoa. he's taken. Um, and uh, so look out for that I hope the article turns out well I really can't make any guarantees at this point but uh, that'll be there you can find all of us on iTunes at Finding in the War Room Fighting in the War Room not Finding in the War Room Fighting in the War Room on iTunes leave us a review we'll read it on the show um, if you can spare a moment's condolences for the Rangers not making the playoffs this year, what the, what? but also a few words that are pointing towards what seems to be their future glory, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> and I am Matt Patches of Easttown, and uh, I'm an editor, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and I'm I'm hard promoting galaxy brains podcast at galaxy brains on, on twitter please subscribe to that podcast too it's been a lot of fun so far um and speaking of twitter fighting in the worms on twitter at f-i-t-w-r and we love to retweet people who uh send us answers to our lightning round question which was in honor of here today what two comedians need to bridge the generation gap next Godzilla and Kong. Uh, that does it for this week. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.
baby. I'm done.